0: Our scripture today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, and I'm only going to read one verse. We referred to this verse last week, and we're going to continue on by looking at it some more. Chapter uh, 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be devoted to one another in love. To devote yourself. What we talked about uh, last week as we are in this message series, One Anothering, um, the idea that those passages throughout the Bible that talk about do something to one another, um, the point is that they're kind of function as commandments. This is how we're supposed to live with one another, how we're supposed to act toward one another. And so, devote yourself to one another. Uh, The word devote, Um, We found last week that 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 word can um, be used to describe the love that a parent has for a child. So to be devoted to one another is to love one another with the love that a parent has for a child. In other words, to see one another as family, that we are one big family. And so what I said, uh, one of the phrases I used was devotion to God is worship, Devotion to one another is kinship, kinship, meaning we're family, and we should treat one another as family, care for one another as family, devote our lives to one another as family. And church family is not just a way to speak of the church. Through our baptism, we had a baptism this morning at uh, the 9 o'clock service, and uh, Pastor Noel Stevens, uh, some of you may have met him, Noel is a retired United Methodist pastor, but his grandson, he got to baptize, uh, uh, I've baptized grandchildren before, it's a pretty special thing. And uh, so, Noel uh, baptized his grandson, and that grandson becomes your brother. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been baptized, you have entered into the family of God. You are brothers and sisters with one another, brothers and sisters with Christ, sons and daughters of the Father. We are not just figuratively, but literally family, those of us who have experienced baptism and celebrate that part of our lives that brings us into God's family. But with all things, there's a, sometimes a flaw in the way that we think of family. Especially if you look at uh, the Old Testament, this flaw is repeated over and over again. It's repeated even today. Um, these sort of flaws, uh, the one thing that reading, a close reading of the Bible tells you is people never change. <laughs> It seems like we repeat the same mistakes over and over again. So, one of those flaws is that the eldest son is raised to a level above all others. And time and again, God acts in a way that would comment in opposition to that. I saw one of the oldest sons over here going, yeah, I'm not the oldest, so I differ. God shuns this idea from the beginning of creation. In in the story of creation, Genesis, um, uh, there's that story of Adam and Eve, and their first son is Cain, and their second son is Abel. And at at one point, Cain and Abel are old enough, they've they've done, um, agriculture was the way they lived, and, and so they bring an offering to God. Cain brings his, Abel brings his, and God looks more favorably on the offering of the youngest son. Now, there's a whole lot more going on in this story, but the point is he doesn't just automatically favor the eldest son. And so wrong was this in the eyes of Cain that he kills Abel. Fast forward about eight chapters, and you come to the story of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of all of Israel. He is the the progenitor of that family, the people of Israel. And Abraham's first son is Ishmael. But God doesn't select Ishmael to carry on this lineage of father to son to son to son. God selects instead Isaac, another son. Isaac, his wife, gives birth to two sons. The first one is Esau, but they were twins, so the second son comes pretty doggone quick. And yet Esau was first, but God favors Jacob, the second son. In the story, uh, if you fast forward quite a few uh, books of the Bible to 1 Samuel, you'll come to the story of of God choosing uh, one that would lead the people of Israel. And he sends Samuel to the family of Jesse in Bethlehem. And this is 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. He sends, uh, well, more or less, um, he sends uh, Jesse to, to, uh, I mean, Samuel to the home of Jesse to find the right son to bless. And, and Jesse brings the oldest son in front of Samuel first, Eliab, Eliab. I'll pronounce it however you want. You'll go along with it. Isn't that the way it works? Say it with authority and they'll believe you. Eliab. And God says, nope, not him. And Abinadab, And God says, nope, not him. And Shema. And God says, no, not him. And four other brothers. And God says, no, not them. And the eighth and youngest brother is David, who will become king. God, over and over again, the recurring theme is that God doesn't say that in family there is one who is ranked above the others. That's a mistake of our doing. And yet, for the next 4,000 years, people around the world have put placed favor upon that eldest son. Even today, mon- monarchies choose the eldest son first for kingship. While that firstborn son notion has mostly faded, mostly, throughout history, there have been other things that, other ways that we have... Seen other people as less than. Women throughout history have been given a second citizen status in almost every culture throughout the world and down through history. And that even exists today as you consider in corporate culture that, that women are, are not paid at the same rates even still today. And, and just recently, a good friend of mine was uh, appointed to be the pastor of a church that I once served, and her first question of me was, will they accept a female pastor? It's still a part of the conversation that we have. And so as we look at the scripture today, and we read, honor one another above yourselves. That word honor, when it is used, it's a word that can be used in various contexts, and when it is used in the context of business, it is place value upon. So we could say in this passage, place a greater value upon others than you do upon yourself. Another way that, that word can be used is to raise up one another. Honor one another, raise up one another. And that requires humility to consider another above yourself. And Jesus talks about this from time to time. He talks about that sense of humility that we are supposed to have the way we regard one another. He even tells us that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He says that that if you're invited to a dinner, don't just march in and go to the great place of of distinction. Lay back and sit in the background. If you're invited up, great, go. Go. But consider others before yourself. Again, that, that requires some humility on our own part. And, and I like what C.S. Lewis says about it because C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself less. To honor someone is to place them above you in your priorities, not in your self-worth. To raise somebody else up does not mean that you lower yourself. We are all of sacred worth, of sacred value to God for the simple reason is this. If you are baptized, you are a brother or sister of Christ, a son or daughter of God. How much higher can we get? In the book of Psalms, Psalm 8, one of my favorite of those psalms, in Psalm 8, the psalmist is questioning God. He says, what is humanity that you care about us? He goes on to say, and yet you place us above angels. You cannot be less than a son or daughter of God. And that is a high place. So, you don't lower yourself when you lift another up. When you honor another. When you help them see that they have sacred worth, sacred value. You know. One of the ways that we do that, one of the practices of the church life, and I I say practices because I I think it's our task to practice faith together so that when we go out the doors, we know how to live it in a world that's not going to practice with us, in a world that's not always on our side. And one of those ways that, we, that we, we lift others up, one of those ways that, that, we, uh, that we help people see their value and raise them up above ourselves is by our missions, the things that we do for one another. Mission work is a way of honoring one another. From Christ's perspective, it is placing someone's value ahead of ourselves Maybe because they have been placed at a lower value for what culture has done. Mission is th- often thought of as what we do to others or what we do for others, but, but, but mission clear, real good mission is what we do with one another as we raise each other up. We, we uh, as a church, we have a, a, a mission, that, work that we do in Ghana, Africa. And there we, we, um, we provide wells for fresh water and we provide schools and churches uh, for people to learn and, and, and worship in as a way of lifting people up. In, in, uh, in St. Louis, we have a, a mission with, with Merrimack School, one of the elementary schools in South St. Louis City. And, um, and there are children there who, who don't have advantages in life Whose, whose place in life is highly likely to place them in a, in a potential situation where incarceration is a future possibility. We know that there is a direct correlation between third grade reading levels and adult incarceration. A direct correlation And so one of the things that we do is we go to the Merrimack School and read with the children and and provide them supplies and and, um, and provide them the opportunity to to grow in their understanding and, and, and knowledge so that they can be lifted up above whatever they're coming out of. We don't judge their family because we don't know the story that goes into how their family got to where they are. For a good number of them, We know a bit of the older history, and it's a strange combination that I put together in my mind this morning and went, wow. You see a great number of those students in Merrimack School, not all of them, but most of them are are of African descent. Do you know where most slaves in the U.S. came from? The region of Ghana, Africa. So when I go to Ghana and I see these children as they gather around, it's always, it's, it's so fun when you, when you go to a place and there's a bunch of children and they all gather around you and they try to wipe this off of you. Because they don't see many white people, especially in those real remote villages. And I see them and I see the same faces that I see at Merrimack School. And then I realize... That in my ancestry, in Labadee, Missouri, my family owned slaves. Each one of those kids has a story, and their parents, and their grandparents, and their great-grandparents. And for whatever reason, their story brings them to where they are. And so we do things that that say, you know what? No matter your story, you are of sacred worth, of sacred value, and we want to lift you up in whatever way we possibly can. One of the things that we do is that backpack attack. We've been doing it since 2011. And since 2011, this church has collected um, uh, or purchased supplies to go in backpacks for students who are um, in uh, uh, Merrimack School but also students who live in poverty in the Rockwood School District. I I should say there are students in the Rockwood School District. Some of those students live in this area in poverty. Did you know that? Culture does a really good job of hiding those away. But they're students in our schools, and so we provide backpacks and school supplies for them. That's why that backpack attack is right there in the center of the aisle, the lobby, because this it, just next week, um, week after, we're going to uh, we're going to do those backpacking the packing of the backpacks. In in the past, what we had done is we had brought students into our building, and we'd had wonderful parties, and it was a great time. But you know, the school district said to us. Um, you know, many of our students, if, if it's Merrimack School especially, but also many of the students who live in poverty and go to Rockwood come by taxi or bus from another area. Or, but even if they live in the Rockwood School District area, they got to decide between gasoline to get them here or maybe buying a meal. And so we put a burden on them, though we didn't know this. We did it with all good intent, and it was a wonderful ministry to have all these kids in here, and we got bounce houses and provided hot dogs. But but the school district said, can we take the backpacks to them instead of you bringing them in? So yeah, there's been a change, and I'm sad about that change only because we don't get to meet people and hear the story of what they've gone through to get to, to this point. And not always did we hear the the long stories, but sometimes we had a chance to interact with parents and grandparents. They would share with us their own concerns of life while we sought to, to raise them up. We're going to have a, a group of students up here um, after communion. We're going, to, we're going to pray over them as they prepare to go off on a mission trip. And um, I, I did a mission trip uh, um, when I was associate pastor when I first started in ministry. So going back about 27 years ago, um, I took a team of, of students and adults, and we went to a, a place in Tennessee. Um, and uh, just like these students are going to uh, South Carolina or something like that, I, West Virginia, same thing. Um, (laughs) If Greg were here, I'd say West Virginia, Virginia, same thing. Wow. <laughs> anyway, um, so we went to, we went to Tennessee, um, and we were in the mountain area. Um, I don't remember which mountains those were, Appalachia or Smokies. I, I, anyway, we were in the mountain area, um, and they would send us to these houses to do work. And so, um, the first place we went, we had to build steps on a, on a front porch. And they gave us a bunch of lumber, and they said, build stairs. And I am reaching back in the depths of my mind to go rise over run and angle. and you know, We got stairs. Um, they might have thrown them out and tried again after we left, but they were kind enough to keep them for that period. And then they sent us to another house. And we were told this, that, that um, the man that lived there, his yard had overgrown, and they didn't tell us much about him, um, but that, that it just needed help clearing the yard. It was a mess. He's a bit of a hoarder. And they said last year we were there and we built a wheelchair ramp up to the house. So we went went there and and, uh, we found that part of this man's hoarding was chickens and kittens and puppies. And I've got 20 youth I'm trying to get to do work when they're chasing kittens and chickens and puppies. So we started clearing out the grass started finding other things he had collected. He he collected a lot of different things. But when you got the grass down to a lower level, you found dead kittens and dead chickens and dead puppies. And clearly this guy had a a mental illness issue that needed to be dealt with. Our job wasn't that. Our job was to clear the grass. And and so we were making piles of, of the junk that he collected, but also with gloves on, making piles of the animal carcasses so that the health department, we were told, would come and get those. And as we're working... We're getting lower and lower in our observation of this man who's sitting on the front porch on a bench that he took from a a van that was his front porch furniture. And our opinion of him was not honoring (laughs) And at some point, his, his um, police scanner went off, and he said, I got to go. Now, we were told, if somebody leaves, you leave, but because of, you know, being accused of something. But we were all working outside, so we went ahead and let him leave, and we kept kind of working, and he left. He was gone over an hour, and he came back. And I said, where'd you go? Probably not in a nice tone because he knew he was supposed to stay there. I said, where'd you go? And he goes, hold on. And he goes into his house, and he grabs a scrapbook. And he brings it out, and he sets it on the hood of his car, and he opens it up and starts flipping through the pages. And page after page, there are newspaper clippings of a hero of a man who, when hikers in the mountains would go over the side of the cliff, he would rappel down to get them. It was this man. Page after page of his exploits. And then he turned another page. And there was a picture of a car that was unrecognizable as a car because it was demolished in an accident. And the inset picture of the daughter he lost in that accident. And he said... uh, My wife and I survived the accident. He said, but really, the accident killed her. The wheelchair ramp was for her. It just took her six or eight months to die. And he said, you asked where I went. I can't go over the hill, over the side anymore to rappel down because I've damaged my back so well from that car accident. What I do is I go over there and make sure all the limbs and branches and brush are cleared away. So that somebody else can go over the side. Now, all the students are gathered around listening to this, by the way. And boy, did our perspective change. Because now we knew his story. Is it okay to have dead kittens and chickens and puppies? No. That's something he has to deal with, but it's not for us to deal with. It was just for us to honor him for a while, for a moment, as we did our work. Ironically, the, the honor part came afterwards as we were finishing up, and I, I asked the, the team, I said, let's all come together in the front yard, let's, let's pray. And uh, um, I, didn't, I don't remember asking him to pray. He just kind of assumed that was his task. And so we all got together, and he began to pray. And oh, did he pray. Oh, did he pray. And, uh, you know, we're we're all standing in the circle praying, and the sun's beating down on us, and and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and the students are starting to look, you know, left to right. And I know this because I'm looking left to right to make sure none of them are horsing around. But, but you know, when you pray for about seven minutes, it feels like 20. And I think he went 11 minutes. I don't know. And in that prayer, he thanked God for us. And thank God for our ministry. Thank God for a clean yard. It really changes you when you know the story of the people that you're honoring that's what i'm going to do as the students come up here in a little while to uh, to be blessed as they're going on this mission trip next week um, I, i'm going I'm going to pray that they'll learn stories that they'll get to know the people that that they may serve 25 people or 12 people or three people. But the numbers aren't important. And here's what I'll tell them. I'll say that every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. We honor people when we bless them in the way that we serve them, when we lift them up above ourselves, not lowering ourselves because that's not necessary or not even possible because we are already brothers and sisters of Christ. We are already sons and daughters of God. But there are those who need to be raised up to that level and maybe even higher as we back off and allow them to stand in the glory of God. Amen. And amen.